An unexamined life is not worth living. You know who said that? Um, Charles Manson. <laughs> uh, Socrates. Socrates. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I thought that was a good quote. thought I would start, I would leave with that today. After all, this Continuing Education <laughs> Weekly is all about uh, trying to examine the past and the present and continue our own True. education, force ourselves to learn something new and challenge existing ideas, and have some good conversation. I'm some, John Dudley. Some friendly banter. Yes, I'm Chris Montgomery. Yes. We're joined, as always, as almost always, with Wednesday the Dog. And this is the fifth episode of our format, what we do, we examine three questions each week, one historical in nature, one philosophical in nature, and one more current event, could be a media item. This week, we got three, as always. Our philosophical subjects, we've kind of been going um, going through some philosophers, mm, how about mostly, that? Mostly French ones, yes. I think this is our first. Or no, we no. have Descartes. Uh, and we have Rousseau this Who, week. Who's been brought up on the podcast before. Yeah. By one Chris Montgomery. This is a fact. And we're going to get into a little bit more of the specifics of Mr. Rousseau's philosophy and how it might relate to some of our past philosophers. He actually... He's a Genovian. He's a Genovian. If we're being, if we're being <laughs> accurate, which yeah. is... Maybe that was a separate region of France at the time. I just don't know, John. We'll, we'll have to look into that. I think it's maybe um, or a small enough country. To well, be... actually, now that I think about it, it's technically part of Switzerland. Yeah. yeah. Geography lesson here. Right. Well, very, very small country uh, in which most do speak French. So there That you part go. they do. And That's I'm sure for back sure. Then they did as well. So we're going to talk about Rousseau a little bit, his politics. That's going to lead us into our country series, our historical country series. We're we're gonna split that up a little bit. I guess it's gonna be a little bit uh, a little bit Swiss, a little bit French, and then we're gonna get into maybe some of the underpinnings of uh, Rousseau in um, in the French Revolution. So oh, we're yes. gonna we're gonna combine those historical and philosophical subjects. Uh, Ten minutes each, twenty for both, and then our current event is politics and politicians. We're gonna we're gonna cast some shade at the other side. Some some Democrats running um, here in Illinois. One in particular has gotten in some hot water. We're gonna talk about that and what we think that might mean. Maybe make some forecasts for uh, some political winds blowing, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot going on right now with uh, congressional races. Big win last night for a quote unquote Democrat in Pennsylvania. In a, in a district yeah. that Trump won by 20 points. So that's indicative, perhaps. It might be safe to say. We'll, we'll get into it. Let's, yeah. Let's get it. into it. Let's do it. Let's dive right in. Continuing Education Weekly. Music interlude. <laughs> do, 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 do. So, John Rousseau. Oh, so, Jean Jacques Rousteau. Rousseau. Not yeah. Rousteau. Rousseau. Uh, in my readings, is most well known for his uh, theories on social contract, much like our own Descartes from last week. Uh, but more, maybe looking at it from a different angle, and also the basically the father of the French Revolution through his uh, time as 
part of the group of the Philosophes and the Jacobin. The Jacobin, named after after him, no less. Uh, he was their primary philosophical influence, and they were the primary swaying club, they called themselves, of, of the French Revolution. And they got up to no, no good. Um, can't really blame that on Rousseau necessarily. We'll get there. Many uh, would, though. Many would. Many would. Many have. Perhaps many should. But, uh, yeah, Rousseau, so he, like Hobbes, like Descartes, did dive into the question of what, what should a government be, which was a, a big question of the Enlightenment period, in no small part because the winds, political winds moving throughout the world, or certainly Western Europe, the colonies at the time, allowed for this sweeping change where pre-existing ideas... Um, as with the fall of the Catholic Church, proved uh, pre-exist- nothing was sacred, literally, I guess, in that case. Uh, things could change dramatically. Uh, things like the, the rule of, of government or a monarch were, were being questioned. Uh, obviously, in what's now the United States being a foremost example, but in, in uh, France, not, not too far thereafter. Um, Rousseau writing in the decades immediately preceding and during the U.S. Revolution. Interestingly, though, I, I, I read that his most of his ideas, it would be tough to draw a direct link to any one American. I mean, Jefferson's the yeah. most obvious, but Jefferson, I believe, didn't cite him as an influence. No, John Locke. John Locke was mm-hmm. the, the most cited influence, I think it's entirely safe to say. Uh, we can maybe discuss him another time, but I think uh, Rousseau, who was uh, a Brit though, not an American, correct? Correct, correct, Mundo. Um, but also, John Locke was life, liberty, and the pursuit and the and the right to property. <laughs> life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, kind of property um, equals happiness in, in yeah, Jefferson's mind. Yeah, so Locke hugely important. We'll get into that. I think I've, I'm able to wrap my head around Locke, Hobbes, Hobbes, and Descartes much more easily than Rousseau, I have to admit. So I enjoyed kind of trying to dive in and, and mm. figure it out. So he, at, in the broadest sense, in, in terms of politics, believed that the best form of a political body would be an elected aristocracy, basically. Interesting. Yeah. but You he, have the government and the sovereign, correct? That was, those were his two branches? Well, yeah, so Rousseau saw there as being really only three different types of government, which I think are kind of the three blocks most people grant. Some, you know, you could include the fourth estate, I guess, but um, he believed in either a monarchy, an aristocracy, or a democracy. And Rousseau firmly did not believe that a democracy was, a pure democracy was was really feasible in the long term, particularly for large bodies of people. Hmm. Very small country, he thought, maybe, but a country, like he would say 300 million plus in the United States, uh, he would not think that a pure democracy would be the best form. So that's interesting, because I I guess I wasn't aware of that nuance, because I had read that direct democracy was his his ideal, but I didn't know that. Absolutely not. But not in a large, well, if it's a small enough community. Yeah, I mean, that would be the ideal in a utopic, utopic, society, but he did not believe that 
really such a society was was easily attained. Um, but he did believe that the aristocracy, which is a loaded word, because what he actually believed in was that this group of people who held the power should be elected off merit. Um, so not hereditary um, and not... He, he believed in a merit-paced ruling class of, of the few. Right. Um, working on behalf of the whole. So representative republic. Yeah, so a, a strong Congress, um, for Which example. Which he called, was that what he referred to as government or sovereign? I mean, I don't know. I saw it as sort of a two a binary uh, broken down into yeah, two. Yeah, he, he, he does believe in strong government, <laughs> but the, the powers to be split um, to be sure, a, a, amongst a larger body rather than an individual. Um, he believed very strongly. He wrote a lot about education and uh, the rule of the role of the individual in basically becoming an informed citizen, and you know, basically being able to ra- reason and rationalize um, voting for the right congressman, basically. So to, to bring it into a modern hmm. um, terminology, I guess. So he, Rousseau was a pioneer of romanticism, as it was called. And you might actually say in some ways he was, he was kind of a hardcore conservative. Oh. That's so interesting. I had a very different reading of, of what I read about Yeah, it. So it hugely counterintuitive, right? For, um, you know, yeah, someone, well, if he was behind the French Revolution. Um, so you're well, talking was, about conservatism. He was not a conservative for his time because okay. he was he did not believe in a king, right? He did not believe in monarchy as, as the best form of government, pure and simple. He, um, he, he basically saw government's job as, is basically doing everything in its own power to restrain itself from standing between man's inherent goodness. So in what ways would you think of him as conservative then? I guess I'm trying to understand. Okay. Here's a great quote. So this is Give it to me. straight from Rousseau. While government and laws take care of the security and well-being of men in groups, the sciences, letters, and the arts, less despotic and perhaps more powerful, spread garlands and flowers over the iron chains which, chains which weigh men down, snuffing out in them the feeling of the original liberty for which they appear to have been born and make them love their slavery by turning them into what they call, quote-unquote, civilized people. So what, so he's almost like a libertarian in a lot of ways. Yes, that's a great way so, to... Cause, yeah, because to me that's different than conservative. But So I think, as with Hobbes and Descartes, you have to put these philosophers in context of their time. That's what I'm trying to do, and one of the reasons I say that is that Edmund Burke was starkly opposed to much of many of his ideas. And Edmund right. Burke is the father of, of modern conservatism. Right. And I, I to, to put my own, you know, to put myself into this, I found myself, the more I learned about Rousseau, the more I felt, oh, this, I don't agree with mm. much of this guy's um, opinions. Interesting. Or, or, I agree with some of it, and a lot of it is contextual. And It seems know, like a lot of it has been... Um, interpreted in different ways and used one way or another to people to, to fit yeah. somebody's one's narrative. A, a lot of people see Rousseau's philosophy as being 
in romanticism in particular, as, as the philosophical movement some block him into, as being um, like a bridge too far. Right. Like well, taking radicalism. taking a lot of enlightenment ideals. He was almost idealistic. He was. I mean, the the most famous quote that I know from him is, "Man is born free, and everywhere he's in chains." Right. So Hobbes' famous quote was, "Life is." nasty, brutish, and short in the, in in the natural state, you know, without human society to build better world for us. Right. Uh, Rousseau in direct opposition believed that we should move more closely to what he called the natural state, which he, he thought we were pure and innocent and frolicking peacefully in, in the wild before society mucked it all up. Uh, so, I could see some truth to that in some sense. Um, again, contextually, uh, he was living in France when the landed aristocracy was, by many accounts, completely out of control and out of touch with the movements of the broader world. Um, there are many stories of... Um, and even just the, the, the visuals of, you know, looking at a, a French aristocrat, um, you know, an artist <laughs> rendition of what they looked like, you know, literally powdered, uh, powdered face, you know, walking around with canes, the frills, all of, you know, all of that um, as being a very distinct class of individual with no real realistic means of, of, of attaining that class if you weren't born into it. Uh, two, So in saying that in the natural state, there wouldn't be no such thing as an er, er, you know, er, aristocratic world you're born into, it's entirely true to say thousands of years ago, that's, that's true. So just purely merit, meritocratic. Right. Yeah. You know, thousands of years ago, if, if you were a more cunning human, you could theoretically, you know, rise to prominence out, out on your own volition. Mm-hmm. In Rousseau's time period in France, that was not the case. Mm-hmm. So that was his perspective. And it makes sense in that context. And he, um, yeah, he, he was opposed to these determined classes, you know, being born into. That was not true to nature. That's right. that's kind of where he was coming from. Um, like, uh, thinking about reading Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me, uh there's, there's some parallels there. In, in that book, Coates really gets into the concept of being white or being black in America and all the, all the baggage that brings with it. 
mm-hmm. as another example of something in the world's natural state, you know, things like on what side of a border you were born out on, or, you know, if, if you, you know, in the United States, in much of the world, if you're half black, people just consider you black. Um, right. You would never say, oh, you're half white. Obama was never called half <laughs> partially white. He was right. Or half yeah. White. Yeah. He, he, considered yeah. a black person so that's that's baggage that society brings to it mm-hmm. um and those are the kind of things rousseau sees as 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 being problematic in that we that kind of mucks mucks up uh our ability to to thrive as an individual is a group of individuals rather than um you know, he, he, yeah. he likes well like so you said libertarianism it's interesting though that i think what we're getting at is that this guy was very complex because some of what he believed was actually very antithetical to libertarianism. He did believe in some collectivism. He did want, Absolutely. and you know, that, that obviously, a lot of modern ideals. In, are, yeah. Are, I was just going to say, directly, I mean, Marx is very much, a lot of his opinions can be tied back to Rousseau yeah. in terms of egalitarianism and class structure and all of that. Um, and some of what I also read about Rousseau is that he is in some ways, uh, blamed or the cold war has been attributed to him for creating this idea of mob mentality, nationalism and, and that kind of thing. So it, it, it's interesting, you know, actually reading as much as I was able to in the last week and, and reading about him even more, the, these contradictions are pretty laid bare and it's hard to grapple with them. Um, but you, it's also unfair to blame you know, historical forces that developed after his death, you know, he didn't have a chance to reassess and, and wrap his head around, you know, things like the, the aftermath of, uh, the French revolution. Well, the French revolution a little bit, but I mean like the century to come, Mm -hmm. um, he didn't have a chance to, to respond to, Social, the, the the rise of socialism and, and how it was put into practice in different places, etc. But because because he did believe so strongly in the 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 autonomy of the individual, it was just that government was in something that each individual was to be responsible for in their own um, independent way and put into practice. We've learned that that's extraordinarily rare. Um, there are, you know, examples of highly socialistic environments where individuals and individual expression are still, you know, have very free reign, um, as well. So there are kind of examples of maybe what he was going towards, but, um, he was, he was an idea man. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so I studied philosophy, (laughs) whoa, I studied philosophy a little bit in, grad school and college and you know a big thing they talk about is dialectic and understanding you know the different ways of looking at these issues and it seems like Rousseau probably believed in that to some extent and sort of contradicting things that are difficult to totally comprehend yes um yeah I, you know, I free will versus the uh ability for a group to cooperate and and just dealing with that conflict and that friction society was a big part of what he talked about yes yeah absolutely he was uh by far the 
most difficult I've I've had to grapple with. And maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe well, you should read Hegel then, my friend. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, Hegel was was rough stuff. Hmm. He was also a big influence of Marx. And well, is that why that. did Marx Marx reassess Hegel and um, he critiqued him, him? Yes, dumbed it down perhaps to make it more palatable for a larger oh, group of people. I don't know if you've ever tried to read. Das Kapital. It's 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 pretty complicated too. These guys yeah. just they were operating on such a different wavelength, right? Um, and you know when I when I try to understand it, I'm reduced to reading the Wikipedia page and seeing what that has to say. So yeah. it's not yeah, it's well, not it an easy be, thing to understand. You know, it might be Hobbes, John Locke, Descartes. That it's easier to grapple you know, a lot of their respective um, philosophies as they relate to the founding of the United States. And perhaps that's a big part of it is, is having a foundational education in those philosophies, even though I, I did a bad job in my, um, in my schooling of really wrapping my head around them. That's why I continue education weekly. That's why we're right here trying. We'll get, we'll, we'll figure it all out. <laughs> God. And it might be that Rousseau is, is apart from, you know, the, the central underpinnings of, of our country and society to a slightly greater degree that maybe that's part of the reason why it's more difficult for me to wrap my head around it. Yeah. I mean, I think that he was hugely influential in the French revolution and the French revolution was in a historical perspective, a very important event, but there were also some negative Yes. byproducts of yeah. that, which and it's easy to get see, glossed over yeah, a lot of times. When you're, when you're sacking, literally killing uh, a huge portion of your society, right? that's well, problematic. I, mean, I think a lot of... So he created the, the... How do you pronounce it? Jacobin? Jacobin. Maybe that's a different pronunciation pronunciation of it. Perhaps the most famous of the Jacobins was Robespierre. Exactly. Who beheaded thousands of people. So. Right. I mean, does Rousseau get the credit or blame for that? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes uh, well, absolutely. and then, you know, and then that created, you know, this uh, power vacuum that just paved, paved the way for Napoleon. So that yeah. whole period um, of romanticism really didn't end well, uh, you know, for a few decades. There. And yet it was necessary if we look back on it and think um, about I, the I, way it played out. I think out. French history would posit that it is... So would it our paved history. the way for what you know France France then did then did become for you know a, a good better part of two hundred years. Um, I think in, our in a positive our sense. our history is tied hand in hand with theirs in that sense as America. You know the revolution obviously ours came before, but it was based off of many of their their ideas. Yeah, it was all related. Um, it was all very intrinsically related and it's it's very interesting to watch and i think one thing um in our country series i want to start thinking about our own country's revolution and get into some of these philosophies i think john locke could be a good uh discussion yeah i love him i love him so much (laughs) the lock man yeah i could the lockness monster of my dreams who else did you find rousseau tied to because i found that he was um you know, in my reading, he was an influencer, inspiration for a lot of different people down the, down the chain. So, like, 
Ralph Waldo Emerson and transcendentalism. He gets credit yeah. for that. Um, yeah, the naturalism. Um, he he has a, a bit more of a philosophical bent in my reading of being more um, grounded in kind of everyday philosophy a little bit more than broad philosophical theory, in that it's 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 a frame of everyday thinking of, of what you are and trying to find your natural state. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is something that can maybe be put into practice and can lead to, you know, a more democratic individual um, in mind, if not in practice. Right. So I, I just realized another really important philosopher we can't not talk about is <laughs> Immanuel Kant. Yes. Because uh, he was also influenced by by Rousseau a lot. And Kant is then tied to a lot of the other socialism, socialist uh, thought and, and some I've of those things as well. I've heard a lot of people say that you are a Kant mm-hmm. um, type of uh, thinker. I'm a like big a, fan of Kant. Yeah, that's, yes. that's been said. You're, yeah, you're, you're a real Kant, I would say, um, kind of thinker for sure. I think um, the pronunciation is actually Kantian, but, you know... <laughs> Whatever you would, whichever you prefer. Tomatoes, tomatoes. So, yeah, Rousseau, interesting fella. Yeah. And on the subject... Do you know who his nemesis was in the, the Philosophe Club? One Voltaire. Yeah. Voltaire. Voltaire. Dun, sort of sounds dun, like Voldemort. Dun. Hey, do you think Voldemort was based off of Voltaire, actually? That's a great... I bet he is. I mean... It makes a lot of sense, right? Doesn't it? Yeah, Voltaire was a crazy cat. Um, Another subject. Yeah, but maybe we get into that. I want to. I want to. What I'd like to do is figure out how all these pieces fit together. I don't think it's easy either. You got. You got. You got Locke. You got Rousseau. You got Voltaire. You got Burke. Burke's another big one. We got to get into it. And then you got Hobbes. Obviously, that was before though. Thomas Paine, another one. Oh yeah. Thomas Paine was big in uh, the American Revolution. An American. Yeah, if I recall correctly. So yeah. Yeah, I think Thomas Paine was a little bit crazy. He, he could be fun. He could be was fun. he? I think give he, me liberty or give me death. No, that was Patrick, Patrick Henry. Oh, Patrick Henry said, "Give sense. me liberty or give me death" on a church steps in Richmond, Virginia, uh-huh. where Chris and I went to college, and yeah. I majored in history, and Chris minored in history. The other interesting thing about this period, this era, the end of the Enlightenment, essentially, is what. Was the what made that time so conducive to this deep and progressive thought, and and where has it gone? Because <laughs> I feel like we've regressed. Yeah. Well, this is a great segue, right? Yes. So we we mentioned a little bit in in episodes past that the 
Um, the, the Black Death was kind of a kickoff period for the Enlightenment period. Half, literally half of Europe's population decimated over five years. Um, this paved the way for a lot of non-believers in the Catholic Church and the um, Protestant Reformation to follow. Um, basically little wellsprings of individualized power structures popping up um, and completely new ways of thinking of, you know, this having one unquestionable voice of what is wrong and what is right. Infallible. Yeah. There's no longer an infallible doctrine. Um, people had to start thinking more individually. Um, they had to uh, start fending for themselves a little bit more as those, you know, uh, structures of support fell along with them. Um, that led the way to the Enlightenment period, all kind of interrelated. Um, those government structures changing. Right, because there had to be quickly. something that helped support that Enlightenment period. It couldn't have just been the absence of something. There must have been, do you think it was more localized? Necessity. Yeah, necessity. Necessity the mother of invention. Well, yeah, so I'm trying to tie that to today and what, well, you know, it's interesting. And it was exciting, too, to, to, to be in a time period where you can recognize emphatically that your government system is broken and you need a new one. It paves the way for, for thinkers to, to think, <laughs> um, for philosophers to philosophize. Yes. For podcasters to podcast. That's where it's really at. For beer drinkers to drink heavily. Yep. And more, or maybe all at once. Um, so yeah, what, what is the next topic then? Is it uh, politics? Here, here in the we're going to solve politics. Yeah, and this is spurred along by um, an interesting Illinois would-be congressman who I've met. No big deal. Yeah, um, dubi- dubious honor, uh, Benjamin Wolf, here in the state of Illinois, running for Congress. The marijuana. Candidate or something? No, cannabis candidate. The cannabis candidate. Yeah, he is. Yeah, the dubious candidate. So Um, many puns tonight. Yeah, he is in all sorts of trouble. I sincerely hope he does not win his race um, and become a congressman. He was one of the front runners. I think the incumbent of that district, my district, my congressional district, uh, is is. If he wasn't looking good, he's probably looking a lot better now because oh Benjamin Burke, <laughs> uh, Benjamin Wolf was uh, Benjamin Thomas Wolf, which gets confusing with the author, um, accused of assaulting a college student, female college student. This is a married man, mind you. Um, <laughs> oh, Wendy decided to join oh, us today. She, she does not like infidelity. I'll tell you that right now. Just scared the crap out of yeah. me. Uh, well, accused, accused of us. It's kind of like Ray, Roy Moore, uh, except the, these were not minors, which I guess that's a hugely important distinction. Uh, still being a bad guy, but uh, in any event, maybe worse in, in that he was, this guy's accused of being physically abusive to these girls and this Ooh. is just one of many things an expose <laughs> like finally you know just i guess as part of the vetting process this this all was going to come up and he thought he could get away with it dude's basically got hundreds of skeletons in his his closet 
Um, he's lied about his service abroad, um, uh-huh. serving in the FBI, re- way inflated his resume. Yeah, Basically, well, uh, the kind of pathological narcissist you would like, expect would of see. a pothead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but honestly. But also, like you see currently in the White House, well, a that, lot of, um, I, I can't help but think um, that there's an incredible assertive narcissism. And, and if this guy were to win, I would be inclined to think that we might be entering a new era um, that in which Trump was not necessarily an outlier, but a new, uh, a new pseudo standard. Of- well, unfortunately, there seems to be a stronger and stronger correlation between people that are, may exhibit certain behaviors such as this and, and people that get into politics stronger than ever, or just, it's always been, maybe we're just hearing more about it. Access to information. I don't know. Yeah. It could be a, it could be a confirmation bias, but, um, I mean, certainly the you way hear, that, you hear about JFK, um, and you know, in, in things that he did as, as president and as an individual. And you see a lot of that has only come out after he was already dead. I think yeah. now we live in a, in an age where everything, is immediate and you know being in the spotlight and having that publicity actually has in a lot of ways can fuel a campaign yeah for better or worse so um, what happens if if this guy still wins his the congressional race i, I do think it's unlikely at this point because he of the negative press and, and the voter base he's that's the thing with. is democrats but, aren't going to vote for this kind of guy only republicans would elect somebody <laughs> like that honestly i mean that, democrats aren't going to support somebody that's done these things not to give us the moral high ground, but Bill it just, Clinton? that was, he was elected before. He yeah, was no, that, of those that's things. true. That's entirely fair. That's true. Um, he was but not, they, he, was, he did that, not win that an was, election after that. That was a different democratic party then. That's it, true as well. There, too much has happened for Democrats to get behind somebody like that. If he got elected, I would be astonished. Right. Um, you know, that, that's a hypothetical that hasn't happened. Right. And I'm, I, I, again, I'm not trying to say that we have some sort of moral high ground. I and I entirely agree. I I, I would be shocked. I'm I, basing I this off of the the platform and the types of messages that have been put out in the last. And as someone ten, who votes five to ten years, almost exclusively down the party line, I have voted for Republicans um, in the recent past. But um, I would I, I I truly hope, as you know, as primarily a, a Democrat myself that this guy does not win. I, I, especially as my congressman, um, I just don't want our country to <laughs> succumb, um, to that type of individual as to some degree we already have, but I don't want it to be a broader trend. You know, I met him and he seemed very charming. So, yeah, but that, that's it, isn't it? The, the usually those types of people are very charming. <laughs> it's true. Um, I, I don't know anything about his platform, but if the, all of these allegations are true, then yeah, you can't support somebody like that. No, I mean it's almost as bad as the stuff Hillary Clinton did. Yeah, dude, she did something. She had like a, I don't even know, something in the bottom, like a secret club in a pizza joint or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, sex that, just can't child, let that child sex can't room. let that. Ha- I love how the conspiracy theories around her were so convoluted and like and it's just random too. if, like if you can't even stuff. wrap your head around the conspiracy theory um that's a problem yep, yep. that's a problem kind of miss the days of brass tacks accountability and not this deep state super 
conspiracy theory nonsense. Um, yeah, I guess it's hard when, when we have a president that, uh, falls into that leader of birtherism, et cetera, um, kind of adds fuel to that fire, sadly. So it goes. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I, I would like to think that, uh, somebody like this would not get elected and that we, um, are better at finding candidates that, uh, can kind of bridge this gap. And that's what happened in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Recently with Connor Lamb that was just elected by like a 200 vote count. Um, he was able to appeal to a much wider swath of voters than, you know, your far yeah, left. Yeah, and he appealed to his specific district, which is what uh, congressman or, or congresswoman is supposed to do, right? Yes. Wasn't towing necessarily a party line so much. Or I guess, the, you know, that's the funny thing about the Democrats right now. There isn't a party line. Which I think is a good thing. There's an opposition. Uh, they are a party in opposition to Donald Trump, and it's kind of hard. It's exceedingly hard to argue with that, so it's a winning strategy. But not necessarily a phys- philosophically rich um, foundation. Well, that's the problem is, you know, you always hear people criticize Democrats for, we don't know what your message is. We don't know what you stand for. And that was actually a big reason, I'd say, behind Hillary's loss, whereas Bernie was very clear on what he stood for. It just was not appealing enough to the, the wide, yeah. wide enough audience. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious. How about, like, liberty and democracy <laughs> and the separation <laughs> of powers as being, uh, you know, foundational things to, uh, for a party to strive towards, perhaps? You mean like Rousseau? <laughs> no. Nah. Not like Rousseau for my personal brand. Of you, are you just saying, as opposed to what we're, we're, what's happening right now yeah. with the current president? Yeah. Trampling I, all over the the norms that we've developed over the last 200 years? Yeah. I, I would like to see a president successfully able, and I don't know in this age we live in, a president successfully able to motivate or play or just, you know, play the motivating role a president is meant to play in um, being a figurehead for broad ideas right. and policy for, you know, the other. Uh, um, that will be, this will be the lasting legacy of Trump is the way that it has enabled and allowed a new type of politician, a new rhetoric to take hold that we've never seen before. I mean, that's the genie in the bottle that's going to be impossible to put away. Yeah. Um, and that was the concern before he was elected. And it's here now. And it's really, it's difficult to imagine how we are able to, to go back to the way it was. It'll never be the same. Do you know what's worth fighting for when it's not Take your breath away And you feel yourself suffocating Does the pain weigh out the pride And you look for a place to hide Did someone break your heart inside 
and you don't know what you got till it's gone. We said last <laughs> week. Um, I mean, just take just to take an example. Um, there, the entire Republican Party now has gotten to the point where instead of uh, instead of dealing with the situation as it exists, they are fully complicit in this whole like spin game that takes place. So, like Paul Ryan today said that Trump did a really good job on this Pennsylvania race by reducing the margin of victory for the Democrat. It wasn't about how he lost a district. He had won in the election by 20 points. It was about how he did a good thing by being there and reducing the the margin. It's political damage control. I mean, they were always going to say, if they lost, they were always going to say something like that. That is so disingenuous and it, it is happening amongst the entire party now. I mean, it's just like talking about the falling. I I see that as like day to day political BS. That was the same. I think it's damaging. The same in 2010. I'm quite sure in the early, those early congressional races before the Tea Party. No, no, because we're we're in a different environment now. The stuff that Trump is doing is not the same as what other presidents. I was just talking about the rhetoric, the damage control rhetoric is the same. It's part of a bigger thing, though. I'm just saying it doesn't matter what it is. They'll always at least Paul Ryan will always go along with whatever Trump wants him to say because right. he knows he well, has to be loyal. Yeah, they're employees of the same political They're not. Party. They're, Paul Ryan's part of the legislative branch. He, he has no He's reason. He's part to, of the Republican Party. It, yeah, that's, but that's, that's, that's how problem. parties work. No, that is a, no, that is, no, that is a problem. And I agree. That's how parties work now. Um, and it is part of the, the Republican Party should have split right into just split like an egg over the last couple of years and it didn't and they've that's a that's a massive problem and they're now the fact that they're trying to survive without having done that and the further away they go the further lost they become um because what donald trump is has turned the republican party into something you're right completely different i mean it's to me it represents something very different than what we've seen in the past i i just don't see Party, it's political just the Donald the past. Trump show now, right? Well, and doing everything you can to stay on his good, stay on his good and, side. And in the Republican Party, as I see it, is is an is an organization that employs many thousands of individuals, um, and gets donations, you know, in into the hundreds of millions, perhaps probably billions, spread out across all of their candidates. Uh, it's it's one of the largest companies in the United States, democratic party being another one of them. Um, they're machines, they're Mm -hmm. machine bureaucracies that pump out their (laughs) candidates. That's what they do. Uh, That they're, they're past the point of having really strong philosophical underpinnings based on the individual. That's true. I want our, I want our elected officials to, be uh, able to have more autonomy in their decision made. Speaking of Rousseau, this is what he would have wanted. Um, instead, they're, they work for their party and their party ideals. And the Republican Party, traditionally in, in recent decades, have had a more uniform messaging. Um, and well, yeah, and that's 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 demonstrated by what just happened in Pennsylvania. This is a guy, Connor. Connor Lamb that um, is against abortion. He supports the Second Amendment. So he, like you said, he was a good candidate for that district. 
and he still had the backing of the Democratic Party. So that's different than what we're seeing on the Republican side. Yeah, you would not be able to see, uh, yeah, a a Republican-endorsed candidate with Donald Trump coming and stumping for him that is opposed to the Second Amendment in in, uh, in, in pro-life. Absolutely not. That that candidate doesn't exist. I mean, um, so the fact that that can exist in the Democratic Party shows a level of flexibility. This is the, um, the, the candidates like him. Although I don't really support a lot of his positions, are the reason that our system has been successful for as long as it has, because there've always been a group of moderate senators or representatives from both parties that were able to get enough votes to pass laws. Right. And that does not exist anymore. No. Yeah. The, um, the day-to-day functionality is, is lost in a lot of, you know, the drain the swamp crowd. Um, in my personal opinion, and I think many would back this up, um, have not uh, done anything to rectify the functionality problem. Um, the functionality problem requires compromise. It's built functionality is built off compromise, and to have a my way or the highway um, cult of personality <laughs> is uh, is is anything but conducive to fostering functionality in Washington. Right. So let's we we <laughs> we intended to try to give some gruff to the other side, and. I'm trying to, but I just keep finding myself falling uh, you know, back. Well, the, the Democrats habits. right now, it, it is a little difficult because they really have no power other than being loud opposition. Right. Um, and and so I, what, I think... What is the message then? What is the... I think my criticism would be the lack of defined mes- messaging. I would love to see ideas to spring around other than anger. I think that maybe is... Don't Not you something think, you ever really see in the real world very often. Well, um, I think, I mean, without trying to glorify him too much, I think Obama tried to represent that in a lot of ways. Obama did in his candidacy. Um, he, I would argue he did during it his was, presidency, It was remarkably too. positive when you think in retrospect. Um, his his messaging, um, you know, hope and change. Uh, and well, well, and, and promising, and promising is, health, you know, broader coverage, access to health care was what that was the central um policy he ran on and he he won he won very handedly it, you know certainly when you compare other modern presidents George George W in a highly contested um election hanging chads and all that and then Hillary Clinton winning the popular vote over Trump and then Obama in the middle winning handedly so in in the modern era last you know in the last 20 plus years or 20 years um obama had more of a mandate going into office than any other president and his his policy his central policy he ran on was broader coverage to help access uh, to health care and it was also saving a, an economy that was in a free fall that was the that was a big mandate well it too. wouldn't be fair to say he ran on that he didn't run on it, but because the, that uh, that didn't no, he didn't have a choice. That that a he didn't have a choice, and b that really was a precipitous freefall in the months after he'd already won. That gave him a mandate, though, in some ways, to to do to what he needed to do. Yeah, um, a lot of people, a lot of Democrats would argue that the healthcare thing was should have waited. He should have done other made other structural changes to the economy when he had the chance. Yeah, well, you know, he he was fulfilling the promise. Um, 
that was what he ran on. And that was, I think, in Obama's case, what, for better or worse, I think truly that Obama cared about the healthcare issue personally. Right. And you never really know, obviously. But I do think, you know, his story, he often repeated of his mother dying of cancer and her, you know, last months being defined by, you know, being on hold with healthcare providers yeah. again and again and again. I have to imagine even worst case scenario an exaggeration, but I have to imagine there were grains of truth to that. And he had sincere thoughts on that and whether or not you agree with his solution. I think that was an honest feeling he had on that particular issue. And it was shared by millions of the people who voted for it. Yeah. He had convictions about the policies he, he endorsed unlike right. other presidents. So I think, you know, in answering your question, what I would like to see is uh, the Republican Party became defined off by anti-Obama sentiment. And the Democratic Party right now is fueled almost exclusively, in my opinion, by anti-Trump sentiment. And I feel it too. But what... What are we going to do? What what are the Democrats going to do? What are any of the politicians, whatever party, going to do to make this a more perfect union? What are what are the policies? What are the philosophical underpinnings that drive us? These these are the questions that I think it, it feels like we're living in kind of a lethargic age of just ugh, just reactionism instead of true. Um, I don't know. True, true, innovative. Uh huh. I mean, thought. I, I agree with that in the sense that we are framing way too much of the discussion right now around what Trump's doing. Yeah. But I believe that a large share of the blame for that is Trump and the people that support him. That yeah. does not that does not excuse Democrats for playing into that. But I mean, you can't ignore it. It's such no. a. It's such a. Well, it, it plays into, I think, it plays into Trump's power, to, for lack of a better but word. But is it power? Because we're starting to win elections that we, listen to me, <laughs> the party I support right now is starting to win elections that uh, yeah. would have we would have once thought were impossible. Right. Whether that means there'll be a big change this year in 2018, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of Pollyannish But is, is winning, winning elections the end goal, or or, or is... Trying to institute better policy, the end goal. Uh, well, the way our system's set up, the only way we institute better policy is through the people we right. elect. So you'll worry about the policy after winning. Is, is, is uh, I saying. have, I have less concern about Democrats passing policies than I do about Republicans right now. Hmm. I would prefer that there be bipartisanship and that there be compromises to achieve policies that will be supported by a larger majority of the country. But that has kind of fallen by the wayside in the last seven to eight years since Mitch McConnell de so I, declared that he, I, his goal was to make Obama yeah. a one-term president. I would like to see more, I would like to see stronger, more efficient 21st century government. Okay. I How would like, I would like policy drives towards strengthening our, core government functions like what like you look at like the u.s postal service <laughs> as, those, as a those great bastards. example those 
bastards. <laughs> but looking at the lessons of the 21st century that, you know, we have before us that other companies, you know, that private enterprise have built out and saying, okay, let's, let's learn from this. Let's be assertively learn from this. Uh, likewise, um, you know, pick a, pick a social service. Um, and but really, really you getting saying your- let's, let's completely, um, and not not with the current Republican mindset of let's gut this and be done with it. It's the worst. Screw it. It's let's let's really assertively look at these programs and make them better. And and why and not just make them better, but make them leaner. Make, Who, yeah, of course. I mean, everybody wants that, but I mean, you have. To. But there, it's not a broad. There's no broad broad policy pushes towards the broad policy push of the Republican party is gut it, screw it, it all sucks, burn it all down. The democratic response is no. Yeah. Okay. So I agree with you. The democratic party has established, uh, has created a Leviathan in a lot of ways. There's, there's this idea of empire building and they've created these things and they don't want to lose them. Um, I do feel that the majority of those things were created in good faith. I don't think they were there. They weren't built with the intention of, of creating more bureaucracy and red tape. They, they right. had a real purpose behind them. Should they be adjusted? Should they be tweaked? Should they be evaluated to, yeah. for effectiveness? Absolutely. But um, for most of these, these programs, the reason they exist is because the private sector was not good at, at delivering or producing the results that are needed. Right. Well, and that, no, that's, and that's, that's a generalization. That's the fundamental difference between a government service and a private sector service. And I think we do lose track of that fundamental difference a lot in, in our modern society or modern American society specifically. Um, I am a strong believer in the role of government and the role of social services and, and, and safety nets. Yeah. Um, and how they also do happen to play into a strong robust free market and the you know ability and attainability of of uh of wealth and reaching you know higher social pursuit classes of happiness and the pursuit of happiness and private property we pay taxes on our private property mm-hmm. so that we will use it whereas the landed french before the french revolution would just own everything and they didn't have to work they didn't have to pay for it we pay taxes that go towards the public good on our property so that we are inclined to work and use that property and build more <laughs> create sure. jobs as a direct result as well. Yeah. Um, there, these things I think do work together. And I think the greatest, most successful um, countries in the modern world, you can directly see how, government and the market work together sure instead of in opposition which is kind of where we are as a country well in our yeah. discourse at least if i had one criticism of the democratic party and i don't necessarily place the blame at any one person's feet however i do think it's become way too common place for them to view themselves as, as some type of savior uh, of people that are you know not where they want to be in life and i, I think that there has been a mentality created, which Republicans have a point about, which is that you know government is there to 
solve all the problems and take care of you if you're not if you're not doing right. well in life. They they can help. There is a role for them to play, but this idea that you know you'll be bailed out by government and right. and and the moral hazard that goes along with it is a problem. And that's something that's a problem in other uh, advanced countries around the world too. I mean, France has that problem. Speaking of Rousseau, uh, I think you know a lot of people in France saw that labor laws were becoming way too restrictive and it was affecting the economy and they've tried to loosen a lot of those up in the last couple of years. And that's, that's yeah. one thing I, I do think there's, a there's a, it's a, it's, a, it's folly to think that, you know, this central centralized well, institution is going to be able well, to solve Well, what we everything. have done as a direct result of the discourse in this country, in my opinion, having a party, a, a, a strong party saying, let's gut these, let's, Disempower them. Is that a word? Disempower. Yeah. Disenfranchise. Disempower. Dismember. Yeah. Yeah. Let, well, let, let's let's uh, let's decrease functionality of you know these social safety nets. Undermine let's, it. Yeah. Let's undermine them um, and make them less effective. Um, well, that's how you justify cutting back these programs. Right. But then what you end up having is just these massive, you know, increasingly ineffective programs. I think. The correct approach that I would like to see, you know, broad pushes towards, which would require strong political voices and, you know, policy minded discussions would be to make them better. Well, <laughs> yeah, but you have, efficient. you have to have a, a group that is, is devoted to evaluating them with benchmarks in place because yeah. who says what's better and you need, and, and you that's need, what we do have that. We have the government accountability office, we but have you need bipartisan programs. support, a prerequisite for this reality. Um, you know, envision a, a democratic push towards revamping like social security yeah. or, or, you know, um, or housing, um, housing grants, um, section eight republican response to you know just a democratic controlled effort towards that would just be to completely undermine it to right. just not let that happen you you'd need bipartisan support to realistically see that happen and we need to create an environment where that's possible and yeah. so provocative candidates who win because they're angry at the other party like Donald Trump just professional provocateurs are going to make that possibility further from reality. I agree with that. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm yeah, not inclined to vote for candidates that only discuss their anger, basically. But it's so appealing, isn't it? I mean, that's what drives, I'm angry the, news, too, man. That's what drives the news cycle. I'm angry too. I'm angry too. And I, I, I feel it, but the, the candidate that's going to win out of many for me is the one that, doesn't is is angry assault women it doesn't assault women and it has actual ideas right i hear you man i'm i think we agree on that much these and beans are ice cold chris these these are these are cool beans and i am about to i don't know what he said i don't know what he said but i he... said wendy has to go pee so <laughs> well you guys I I'm all you. for it. I'm all I for love it, you. by the way. I love you. I love everyone. Yeah. doesn't matter yeah. what well, you're... I, I appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, appreciate all the feedback um, on on the, the our first episode on, of the new TV show. Um, it's going very well. Chris is doing a little dance. 
um, because Wendy has to pee. And, uh, yeah, Chris is, uh, uh, what else, Chris? Good night and good luck. Hmm. We'll talk to you next week. What else, Chris? Do you, something going on over there? I was just buying some time. Chris is, Chris had to pee. I think he just blew up. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me me see what spring is like on a Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. In other words, 